Good morning, church. As my kids say, that's the greatest intro ever, and I got to come up to it. Uh, My name again is Nate O'Brien, and it is my joy and honor to be with you today. Uh, I get to bring the sermon series on the armor of God home. I get to bring it to a close today with the shoes. That's not the most exciting sounding piece of armor, uh, but I'm excited to be here and share that with you today. So we're going to jump right into it. Ephesians 6, get your Bibles out or your phone or however you do you and turn to verses 13 through 17. Uh, We're going to start off there since we had a a Thanksgiving service this past Sunday. I do want to read it in context to kind of refresh everybody. So here we go. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so today we're going to be specifically in verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, throughout this whole series, uh, we've been talking about pieces of armor. And so, of course, I, I think in movies a lot of the times, and I think of all the movies that you see of the Greeks and the Romans and the Spartans, and they've got their full gear on, and they're lining up together, you know, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. There's always a bad guy force that's infinitely greater than theirs. Uh, And they're about to go at it, and someone inevitably is like, you know, hold the line, and they all brace for impact. And I love those kinds of movies. But as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking the most highly trained soldier with all the right gear on would be pretty foolish and not helpful if they had the wrong shoes on. If they had all the rest of it geared up perfectly, but they came to battle with the wrong shoes, it wouldn't do you much good if you couldn't stand if you couldn't stand firm in the battle. So what seemed to be like the least important piece of armor, at least for me, the shoes, I mean, I don't think much of that, it turns out to be quite significant. And so my hope today is to help us get an appreciation of these shoes that Paul's talking about in Ephesians. And we're going to do that by looking at three different points. We're going to look first at the identity of the shoes. You know, what are they? The source, where do we get them from? And then the purpose, you know, what are they for? What do we do with them? And if you look at verse 15, you see the identity of the shoes. The shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, just by way of history, uh, about 62 AD is roughly when this book was written. Romans dominated due to their military might and in no small part to their gear. They had the right equipment, especially their shoes, which I found fascinating. And we've got a picture of them. Um, They had a a thick sole. They were able to travel very long distances without hurting their feet, which you don't think about, but it's pretty huge, pretty important. They had all these straps that secured the shoe to the foot and to the leg to keep them in place. And they had nails driven through the soles of the shoe as spikes so that they got that purchase, that firm footing 
No matter what kind of terrain that they were in, uh, if there were blood or water or any kind of slippery surface, they could stand fast. Also, it offered protection. If I set a, set a trap for your foot, you had the spiky shoes and it kept you safe. So they were able to take over, I mean, almost the entire known world at the time. Now, there's some people who think, you know, are you sure that Paul was thinking about a Roman soldier? Well, as we talked about before, we're pretty sure he was chained to one for a long time. And so we think that's probably who he was thinking about. It doesn't matter either way. I think the, the picture works. Now, as I was going through this, my first initial thought when I started the research is that these shoes are the shoes of the gospel. You know, you hear about that a lot, the gospel shoes. And I realized when I was digging into this that they weren't quite the gospel shoes, but in fact, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel. And so I thought that that was a very important distinction. Now, the word readiness here, uh, the Greek word there, it means being prepared, having the fitness for, the energy for, to engage in it. And it's used this one time in the whole New Testament. And so I thought that was pretty neat. It has this sense of to just be made ready for what comes. And when I looked at the Jameson Facet Brown Bible Commentary, I was helped by what they had to say about it. And so it said, it's a preparedness to do and suffer all that God wills. It's a readiness for the march as a Christian soldier. And so they are, in fact, shoes of readiness, of preparation, getting us ready for what's coming and what we're in the middle of. And it's given by the gospel of peace. And I looked at probably eight different translations, and so... You get a, a bunch of different uh, pieces. It can be of the gospel. Some have it for the gospel or from the gospel. Either way, the gospel is the battery pack that supplies the energy for this readiness that this verse is talking about. Now we continue in the verse, and we see uh, having put on. Now that phrase is a, is a one Greek word, and it points us toward verses 13 and 14. So having put on, it points us up to verse 13 where the verb or the command is to take up. And then it points us again to verse 14 where the verb or the command is to stand therefore. So that having put on, it points us toward the command to take up the full armor and to use the full armor and stand firm. So God, in a sense, gives us what we need to do and to what we need to do it rather and then he commands us to take it up and to stand with it on. Why is this important? Well, it's important because of the fact, uh, as you have heard throughout a bunch of Sundays now, we're in a war. And we're in this war constantly. And this war started back in Genesis when Adam and Eve committed the first sin. We're in a broken and sinful world. And so we're at war, and you're probably sick of hearing about it. We're at war, we're in a war, we're out of war, we're in there, we're in there now. But I do want to bring it up again because in verse 12 of Ephesians 6 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have a specific army that we're fighting against that is actively engaging us. We have a specific enemy who leads this army, and that enemy is Satan. And if you look at 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And so it points us to that commander. 
In 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, we read, Be alert, sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Now, some of us, we question this. You know, I don't feel like I'm in a war. Things are going pretty good. I've really got no complaints. Some of us are even like, are you serious? You want us to believe in a devil and demons and spirits and all that? And my simple answer is yes. And why? It's because we believe that the Bible is true and has no errors in it. We believe what it says over how we feel and what we think. We want to bring our thoughts and our feelings in line with the Scripture. And we see the evidence of it all around us. No matter how much you try to dig your head into the sand and ignore this fact, we see it. I mean, just hearing about the mission moments today, that's just a reminder to us that we are at war. There are people trying to take a capital. We see it when we look around and we see sin in our own hearts and sin in the world around us. We see it when we see the sickness that our friends and loved ones have or that we ourselves have and that we have to wrestle with. We see the evidence that we are at war when we suffer the pain of loss of death. No matter how hard we try to hide this fact, it keeps popping up the reality of it. And that's why I think this whole sermon series has been so helpful to me, at least, because I forget when things are going really good. I don't think, hey, I'm in a war. I need to be cautious. I need to be prepared. I need to be ready. But now that we know the identity of the shoes, what are they? We can turn to the source of the shoes, which we've already kind of touched on. It's given by the gospel of peace. Now, the whole Bible talks about the gospel, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, the last chapter. But this particular set of verses that I want all of us to turn to just puts it in a couple of verses, everything that we would be good to know and really good to memorize. I would encourage all of us to memorize these verses. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're heading, and it's verses 1 through 6. And when we had a, an older kid's Bible class, we made them memorize this thing, and we bugged them with these verses, probably until they see it in their dreams, uh, and they heard it nonstop. And I'm okay with that. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, in accordance with the Scripture, he raised, and then he appeared to Cephas, the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That is the good news of the gospel, and you can see all of the pieces that are, are vital in these verses, that Christ died for our sins, and it's in accordance with the Scripture. It was prophesied thousands of years before it happened, that he raised on the third day from the dead, accordance with the Scriptures, again, in keeping with those prophecies, and that he appeared to people. They witnessed his resurrection. Uh, there was evidence of it that they could hear, that they could touch. And the Bible says if we repent of 
our sins and we put our faith and trust in this Jesus, that he saves us. Now, this would be a bad Sunday if all the bad news was, and all the news I had for you was bad, was that well, you're a sinner, uh, you've got to go before God on judgment day, he's going to say guilty, and you're going to be thrown into his jail, which is called hell. The end, happy Sunday. That would be horrible news. But the good news is what you just read, that someone came down, paid your price, took your punishment, and freed you from the sins, and freed you from the punishment that you deserve. In a sense, Jesus was counted among the sinners so that you could be counted among the saints. And I love that. You're now among his people. As a believer, you have all of your sins forgiven, past, present, and future. And I've been thinking a lot about that this past week even. He knew every sin I'd ever commit, and he still saved me. That blows my mind, especially if you've had a horrible week, and you've been blowing it left and right. The punishment that I should get, he paid it. It's gone. It's not there. I, in, instead of getting punishment, I now get all the blessings that he should get in heaven forever with God. No longer enemies, but friends with God. If we're thinking about the big military picture in our head from the beginning, we've got Satan and his army, and I was in that army, and I was heading this direction, and then we have God and his army, and I was actively his enemy. We were at war with each other. And then he saved me, and he put me on his side, and now I'm fighting with him in his army. He made me family. That peace now exists between me and my former enemy, God. And that's the eternal peace that we especially think about and we often sing about come the holiday season. That's that never-ending peace. We have it as believers in Christ. Now, like with a lot of good things, you know, name brands, the good stuff, you get knockoffs. And so people are going to kind of try to sell you some knockoff good news. Every other religion's a knockoff. It's fake good news. Some will tell you you can have God, you can have heaven, but you've got to work there. It, it, it just all depends on how good you are. Now, here's some things they won't tell you. Uh, they won't tell you that you will literally keep on sinning until the day that you die. So how do I pay that all off? It's impossible. Uh, they won't tell you that God's standard is perfection. You blow it once, you're out. It's not good news. They won't tell you that you are a bad person by God's standards and that you're only at war with him forever unless something changes. You'll have some people come and tell you there's no God, there's nothing that happens after you die, so just enjoy this life. That's their good news. And that doesn't sound very good either. With the true gospel, we get the good news of Jesus Christ proclaiming his blessings to his people. Now, I want us all to turn to Romans 5, 8 through 11. I want to head there next. I want to really highlight the source of the readiness and preparation, the source of these shoes that, that we have. Okay. Romans 5, we're just going to do verses 8 through 11. But God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's amazing. Instead of being enemies and at war with God, we're now part of his family. We're now part of his royal family. We were saved even though we were at the height of our sin. While we were still wicked, while we were still sinners, he came for us. Instead of being at war with God's people, we're all members of the same family if we're all believers. I just want you to hear Galatians 3, 25 through 29 on this point. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free, no male, no female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So first of all, we're now members of his family. We're not at war with God. As believers, we're now members of the family and we're not at war with each other. This part to me is particularly huge in the climate that we often find ourselves now. In the body of Christ, there should be nothing we fight about. There should just be unity. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have arguments and that we're not going to differ on opinions. It means that there's no reason for division among us based on how we look, how much money we have, our political bent, uh, even if we have a vaccine or we don't. There's no reason for us to fight each other. Uh, We're busy. We need to be working together. And I've been guilty of causing division. And I know a lot of us have over simple things we want to fight and pick. And so I just really want to emphasize for all of us, in Christ, we are Christian first. And I'm everything else second, third, and fourth. I am a Christian, and then I'm everything else that I want to identify as. So instead of being overwhelmed and overrun by the enemy and and the sin and the effects of sin on the earth and ultimately by death itself... We have peace in the midst of this war. We have peace with God, who is our biggest problem before we come to know him, is that we're at war with the creator of the universe. We don't have peace. Once we have peace with him, that's the peace that we carry into every part of our lives. That's the peace that Paul says passes all understanding. In Isaiah 26.3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have the greatest weapon against anxiety and trouble in our current time. We have the peace of the gospel. Now, how do we take this peace and apply it? A lot of us at this point, we might be prepared and then willing and anxious to go share the gospel. You know, I want to take this good news out. And I love that about you. And if that's you, and you have that inclination to do that, talk to Pastor Kenny, talk to one of our elders. We're always looking for people who want to go out and do that. But when I was diving into this, I really got the sense of we first must preach the gospel to ourselves so that we are effective evangelists to other people. We must be kind of like the airlines. If they say, you know, the oxygen masks come down, what do they tell you to do first? Put it on. You can't help anybody if you pass out or die. You know, you put yours on and you can help out all the people. So we want to make sure that we're preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. 
so that we're ready to help bring that gospel to other people. We're prepared to fight in the war that we find ourselves in because there's no breaks in the war. There's no timeouts. It just feels that way sometimes. I found John Gill particularly helpful in this as well. The preparation of the gospel may be as if it were shoes for you. It's very fitly called the gospel of peace because seeing we have to go to God through most dangerous ranks of enemies, this may encourage us to go bravely. And that you know by the doctrine of the gospel that we are traveling to God who is at peace with us. So again, this shoes given by the gospel of peace carrying us through the dangerous ranks of the enemies, going to bring us ultimately to our God, who is at peace with us. Milton Vincent, I have two quotes from him that I do want to read on this. Here's the first one. In fact, these commands imply that I'm vulnerable to defeat and injury unless I seize upon the gospel and arm myself with it from head to toe. And what better way is there to do this than to preach the gospel to myself making it the obsession of my heart throughout each day. Another one, preaching the gospel to myself each day provides a lens through which I can view my trials in this way, as that which does me good, which glorifies God, makes me more like Christ. And I see the true cause for rejoicing that exists in him. I can embrace trials as friends, and I can allow them to do God's good work in me. And that begs the question for me and for you. Has the gospel been your obsession? Has it been sports? Has it been shows? The phone? I don't, you know, I don't know what it is for you. But has the gospel been your obsession? And how do you respond to your trials and sufferings and tribulations? Do you respond in the flesh or do you respond with the gospel? And I'm going to touch on how we might be able to apply the gospel to our everyday Uh, woes momentarily. So we got the identity of the shoes. We got the source of these shoes, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So what's the purpose of the shoes? What are they for? There are a few purposes that I think that we have to deal with. The first is to secure footing during the war. In light of the gospel, we can stand firm. I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians 1, and we're going to read verses 27 through 30. Here we go. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. You're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. The whole purpose is for us, in light of the gospel, to stand firm. The shoes of readiness, of preparedness, make us ready to stand firm in the war that we find ourselves in. We're united with each other in the march. It says we'll suffer persecution. 
We'll suffer ill fortune and sickness, uh, maybe even death. And if you're like me, you'll wander out of the war. In my head, it's almost like I take all the pieces of this glorious armor off and go wandering around the minefield of sin, maybe even putting on what my previous master had me wear, some filthy, nasty rags that were worthless. And I go get sidetracked by the cares of this life, and you are standing in the battle. You're fighting. You look over at my spot, and I'm not there. I know that I've done that. Focusing back on the gospel gets us engaged again, not only for ourselves, but also for our brothers and sisters who are here with us. So again, I, I want to make sure that I keep saying we, we want to make special care not to bite and fight against each other. We have a common enemy, and it's not flesh and blood. It's not the person to my left or my right. It's not you. It's not my spouse. It's not my kids. It's not a bad boss. It's It's Satan. It's sin, it's death, and all the the ranks of it. So that's what we want to stay focused on. So how do we do this? Well, you're going to be shocked to hear the first thing that you do is read your Bible. Uh, That'll probably shock you that I'm saying that. You want to read your Bible. And I want to encourage everybody in here to read the whole Bible from cover to cover. If you're only feeding yourself a daily devotional or a verse of the day, it's like going into battle with bunny slippers on. You know, it's no good. It, it's not enough. It's, it's good to do that, and I want to encourage you to do that, but I want that to be supplemental to your study and reading of whole books and whole chapters of the Bible so that you can then take this and apply it to what you come up against. The second thing that we can do is to Pray. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We secure firm footing in the war by reading our Bible, and especially by prayer. It shows our obedience to God, our dependence on Him. I need prayer for myself. You need my prayers for you, and vice versa. I need you to pray for me. And there's been so many people who knew I was going to be up here today, and know me, and so they were praying like crazy. (laughs) Take that how you want. I'm choosing to take it positively. The third thing I would encourage us to do is to worship, to sing. We read our Bibles and we study it. We pray and we worship. Now, worship is us crying out to God and praising him and singing to him, but it's also singing for each other. And here's what I mean by that. You know, like in the battle scenario, the soldiers are all getting weary. The, the bad guys are too many. And then there's the war cry, you know, oh, and everybody, oh, and then they get that energy back and they get back into the business. That to me some Sundays is our singing. If I can hear you singing, that eggs me on to sing, and I need that after some of the weeks I've had. You know, and my heart loves, I don't care if you can't carry a note in a bucket, like I can't, just can't. And I'm married to someone who really can Uh, which isn't good. You can pray for me about that later. But if you're singing at the top of your lungs and I'm hearing you pour your heart out to Christ, even if you sound horrific, I'm excited. I love it. And I know that Christ hears that and to him it's got to be the most beautiful music he's hearing. So sing with all your heart, even if you can't, like myself, sing. Because you want to thank Christ, you want to also encourage each other. 
So, firstly, the purpose of the shoes secures our footing. Secondly, it provides us a guide for our feet. So in light of the gospel, we can know to take the next step. What do I do next? How can I take the gospel? How do I apply it? In Luke 1.79, it says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, in the immediate context, this is talking about Christ bringing salvation to his people. I can deduce from that that he's also going to provide guidance for his people on how they should walk through the Christian life. How does he do that? Through our Bible. He tells us how to take the next step. Again, Milton Vincent, if I can't recommend a book to you more highly than his today, I I wouldn't know what it would be, but Milton Vincent's The Gospel Primer was supremely helpful for me, and it's very easy to read and to keep the gospel on the forefront of your mind. And he had this quote, Such a gospel-centered gratitude glorifies God, contributes to peace of mind, keeps my foot from the path of foolishness and ruin. If I'm focused on the gospel and how it applies to my life, I'm going to take care as to where I place my feet next. It's kind of like a drill sergeant. You know, they tell you left, right, march, stop, turn. They tell you where to place your feet next. The Bible is that. I do want to give you a quick example so that it, it can be applied in a real situation. Let's say you just had an argument with somebody you're close to. They have accused you of something that you didn't do for once. You're innocent of the charge. Your first reaction is what? I want to defend myself. I want you to understand where I'm coming from and believe me. And I might even bite your head off to get you there, right? But instead of doing those things, how do I apply the gospel? The first thought I can have is I'm such a sinner, and even though I might be innocent of this particular charge, I'm not surprised how they got there. I'm just not. I'm not a great person. They've accused me of something. I can understand why they would make an accusation because of my history of sin, although I'm innocent of that. The second thing I can think of is that Christ was falsely accused. He was not uh, guilty of any of the accusations they made against him. He never rushed to his own defense. In fact, most of the times he didn't say anything. He never attacked his accusers. So if I start thinking in light of the gospel, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. That person also is a sinner who needs a savior. It changes how I approach an argument. It changes how I approach an accusation. So instead of doing what I would normally be tempted to do, I can keep my calm. I can respond out of humility and not pride. I can attempt to use this conversation to glorify God and not myself. I can take the next best step. We got firm footing. We got a guide for our feet. And the third thing, I think, the third purpose of these shoes of readiness is to deliver us safely home. In light of the gospel, you can make it home. The battle's a long one. And it's hard. We got to wrestle through so much stuff. The enemy seems to have it much better than we do. Uh, They seem to be having more fun. Sometimes they're healthier. They've got more possessions. They don't seem to suffer as much as we do. We can be tempted to quit, to give up. Doubts start to creep in. Can we win this? Am I even a soldier in this army or am I just a pretender? We can be tempted to despair even as we watch our brothers and sisters who fought alongside of us fall out. 
But instead of that fear, and instead of embracing that despair, we can remember the gospel. We can remember the good news that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, is almighty. He's a warrior king, and he will lead his people to victory. He already has. He promised that you will finish the fight with him if you belong to him. If you're his, you won't give in to fear and laziness. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus is the great shoemaker, if we want to continue with that analogy, so to speak. His shoes will get you safely home. They're not going to wear out. When the battle's at its worst, the enemy's at its greatest, we can rest in the promises of the gospel. When the attack is coming on all sides in the form of ailments and illnesses and cares of this life, persecution, and again, even death, we can hold fast to the good news that the gospel promises that we'll make it home. And I don't know about you, but I yearn to be home. I want to be there. There's going to be no more war there. There's going to be no more enemy to fight, no more sin, no more sickness, no more pain, no more persecution, no more death. He will bring us home. And I love that promise. Now to my brothers and sisters, just a few questions as we start to close. Have you been ignoring the war? Have you forgotten your shoes altogether? Have you been fighting the wrong enemy? Maybe you've been fighting a spouse, a child, a parent, a fellow brother or sister. Are you obsessed with the gospel lately? Have you wandered away from the battle by ignoring your Bible, ignoring your prayer time, ignoring your family on Sunday when they gather to worship, your church family? Have you been using the gospel as a guide for your feet? And have you given up hope? If the answer to any or all of those is yes, I want you to pay attention to this bit. I want you, number one, if you hear that you've been sinful, repent of your sin and put your faith and your trust in Christ. Believe in him who never ignored the war. He never forgot his shoes. He's always been fighting the right enemy. He's always been obsessed with the will of his father. Believe in him who never wandered from the battle always taken the best step, who's never given up hope. And remember the fact that he died for you, rose again so that your sins could be forgiven. Rest in that. Even if you're guilty of those things I just asked you for, he knew you would do that, and still he saved you. So turn from them. And then just increase your faith and love and trust for him who would do something like that for you. Remembering his great love for you, you can take up your armor, you can stand firm in the battle, and you can hold the line. And I want us to remember that just as the nails driven through the soles of those sandals purchased firm footing for the soldiers who wore them, the nails driven through the hands and feet of our Savior purchased firm footing for us in this life and in the next. That's just something I want us to take away today and to meditate on. To anybody here who, who isn't a believer, who's not a Christian yet, I do have some questions too for you. Are you ready for ultimate defeat? And I don't mean that in an ugly fashion. It's just that you're fighting on the wrong side. What's going to happen to you on the great day of Jesus' return? 
I'll give you just a little heads up. You'll be marched in front of that king. You'll be found guilty for all the sins you've ever committed. And that's what you've thought, what you've said, and what you've done. For example, he commands in his kingdom that you speak only truth. Have you ever lied? He commands that you should never disrespect your parents in his kingdom. Have you done that? He says that in his kingdom, you should never desire your neighbor's goods. You should be content with yours. Have you been guilty of that? He says you should never steal in his kingdom. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? If you have, you'll be sentenced to his jail, which is hell, and that's eternal. It doesn't stop. You're in a battle you can't win, but I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ is a kind king. He commands you to repent of your sins and to confess them now, to turn from them and to believe on him, who he is, what he's done, specifically for his enemies. If you do that, he promises to forgive you, to save you from the punishment that you deserve, to bring you into his family, to secure for you a seat at his table for the victory meal in his kingdom forever. You'll no longer be his enemy because he makes his enemies his friends. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your son. God, we love you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of your gospel. I pray, Lord, that I spoke your word rightly today that I encouraged your people, that anyone who doesn't know you, that their hearts would be changed because of your gospel. Please help us, Lord, as we go into this next week to love you and to love each other well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.